Good morning. I'm uh, a bit flummoxed because I uh, learned that I was doing this uh, about uh, 10 minutes before the service. Uh, no, seriously, I, I, uh, every, the elders were kind to, to uh, sort of, uh, it, it, it's fine, but I pushed forward and said, no, I, I, uh, I'd be happy to do it, so... Uh, Ryan Glomsrud is quite ill this morning, and so uh, we can, um, uh, nausea, so we can pray that uh, he would improve. So I'm going to do my best to undo everything that he's done uh, through this series and take a break actually from going through the catechism, which he was doing, and instead focus on uh, a particular psalm that I have been that has taken on, shall we say, a little new meaning uh, in these last days leading up to the general election. So uh, let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word and how it consoles us uh, in times of uncertainty as well as times of prosperity. Uh, and we, we uh, do pray that your hand would be uh, of providence would be upon uh, all of us as citizens, that you would um, also guide and direct as you do all things um, for the good of your church and for your glory. We pray for Ryan Glomser that you would uh, raise him up in health and strength and uh, that you would uh, strengthen all of us by your word even in this uh, brief time that we have together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you probably already know what psalm that I'm talking about, and um, again, this is just basically let's meditate together on a, a particular psalm of interest. I have no outline or uh, you know sub points, but uh, the psalm itself is uh, says everything that needs to be said. Let me read it. Psalm one forty six, beginning at verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. The way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Um, it's uh, uh, interesting because these psalms are usually directed at the upbuilding of the kingdom in the last days, the kingdom that has fallen. You know, there's, you have all, all of these laments, and then in this last book of the Psalter, it is anticipating the coming of the great, greater son of David who will build his kingdom. And uh, in that context, it's very much a consolation for us in this age because we're awaiting his second Return. These psalms were anticipating his first coming, but now we're awaiting 
really the consummation of the, the kingdom when the king does return. So it begins with praise and yet a sense that uh, Israel has been ruined. It's been ruined by its own, uh, its own sin. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day, his plans perish. Um, the, the greatest tragedy in Israel's history and in the psalmist's memory was not actually when Assyria came in and uh, took the northern kingdom captive and then the Babylonians swept in and carted off the uh, inhabitants of Judah. The real tragedy was when, a long time before that, the Holy Spirit evacuated the temple. The Holy Spirit departed because Israel had so fully violated the covenant um, that the temple was no longer holy. In fact, uh, it, was, it was actually good news that God lifted the holiness of the temple, that he turned it into a warehouse instead of a church, that he deconsecrated it. Because if, if it had still been consecrated, then as the, as the worshipers uh, entered the sanctuary, they would have been engulfed in flames. Um, it's actually merciful of God to keep to, to basically turn off the holiness <laughs> from the sanctuary so that they wouldn't uh, be incinerated. And uh, instead he took his spirit up to heaven. Again, now there is no place on earth where, his, where his, uh, there's no temple, there's no holy land. Um, and it, what Israel had done is trusted in princes, uh, you remember all the way back in Israel's history, they wanted a king like all the other nations. And God said, what am I, chopped liver? You know, I am your king. Oh, no, 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 you're our God. We want a king with a human face. Somebody we can see, somebody we can elect, somebody we can, uh, some, somebody we, maybe we can um, impeach. <laughs> um, we want a God like the nations. And uh, you're just our God. You're not our king. You're not our head of state. We want a political leader. And God, God says, no, I'm your political leader. I'm your head of state. I'm your king. Just like Pharaoh's the king of Egypt and so forth. I'm your king. I'm your emperor. Oh, I think, I think we're going to go do this a little differently uh, than that. And God amazingly acceded to their request and he gave them a king, and it was Saul whom they chose. And God said, okay, at least if they're going to get a king, I'm going to choose the next one. <laughs> it's David. Um, but none of the kings pulled it off. And instead what happened was, especially with Ahaz, he goes behind the covenant with God, and instead of going to God, the, the prophet even goes to him, Isaiah. God sends Isaiah to Ahaz, and he says, ask Ahaz for a sign, any sign. Any sign, unbeliever, snake in the grass. Just, just ask him for any sign and I'll give it. Proof that I am the king and I'm going to deliver Israel. I'm going to send the Messiah. Just go, at, you know. And uh, Ahaz said, oh, I would never expect a sign from the Lord. I'm too pious. I, I be- oh, 
You don't have, I don't need a sign. God says, go back and tell the scoundrel, ask for a sign. <laughs> I want him to ask for a sign. No, I really, I would never put the Lord to the test. Oh, you have no idea how much you're putting me to the test. Go back, Isaiah, and tell him again, a sign. Okay, you don't want a sign? I'll give you a sign. A woman shall conceive, conceive and bear a son, and you shall uh, call his name G, uh, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, and he will, the, he'll be called Mighty God, Everlasting Savior, and so forth. Give him a sign. I'll pick the sign. He's getting a sign. Isn't that amazing, just the way God does that? But Ahaz, pious on the outside, what he was actually doing, what, he couldn't care less about the sign. He just didn't care because that was about religion. He was worried about politics. And God keeps saying again, I'm your, I'm your politician. I'm not sort of the, just this sort of ethereal thing you pray to that doesn't really have anything to do with your daily life. I am your king. You have peace or war because of me. And not just inner peace, but I mean seriously, peace with your neighbors on your borders and frontiers. I am your king. I'm your head of state. So Ahaz didn't believe, uh, he didn't trust the Lord, and instead he put his faith in uh, the king of Assyria. So he signed a treaty with him. Now, there's nothing worse in the ancient world than signing a treaty with a king who isn't your king. You know, basically what, what Ahaz was saying is we don't trust Yahweh to be our king. He was basically making null and void the covenant of Mount Sinai. Well, no, not null and void. It's just the one we're kind of going to go with, the cabinet will know about this, no one else will, is that we actually signed a backup treaty with the king of Assyria. And so God said, okay, you're really going to love this one. You're going to, you love the king of Assyria. You love him so much. He's a better king to you. He's going to take care of you. You're going to have safety and security. Okay, I'm going to use him to destroy you. And then he's going to take you as spoils with your, with your wives and children. Difficult time. <laughs> in Israel's history, but they kept trampling the Lord's courts. They kept coming into the presences where you get in Hosea and elsewhere, coming into the Lord's sanctuary and saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Uh, oh, we can't wait until the Messiah comes. We can't wait. It'll be, it'll be such a joy. They were singing psalms about the Messiah, and they were all excited. And Hosea says, don't, or Amos says, don't you realize that it's as if a man were running from a bear, and he stopped in safety, and put his hand on a wall and was bitten by a scorpion. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord, for it'll be a day of darkness and gloom. So you get that, that you don't really understand your situation. You don't understand the seriousness of your position before God. Well, it all comes down to basically the fact that Israel was not recognizing God as king. And that's what happens in the New Covenant as God becomes flesh, tabernacles among us, and he becomes king again. And his people say, we will not let this man reign over us. Let's kill him. King again comes to his people. Um, Israel did put its trust in princes, 
in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. So he's already contrasting uh, Yahweh as king with these princes uh, in whom uh, there is no salvation. think, Think of it. Take a piece of paper out if you want and draw a line down the middle and put Yahweh on one side, the God of Israel, and then the princes on the other. And God is saying, okay, first of all, there is no salvation in the princes of the earth. They can't deliver you. Uh, in fact, they die. And when their, deaths, their, their breath departs, their plans go up in smoke. That's when their plans die. They've got these big plans. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're making all these promises, and you believe them. They promise you salvation. I mean, that's, that's what's interesting. They promise salvation, but they can't deliver salvation. Yeah. Uh, politicians aren't bad when they promise safe drinking water. <laughs> they, they are demonic when they promise salvation. When, when, they, when they promise health, wealth, and happiness, prosperity. And that's exactly what Israel said. God can't give us prosperity. He can't make us really happy. Maybe something pie in the sky by and by, but he can't make us happy now. At least for here and now, we need to trust in the princes. God is not like this. He, he doesn't die, so his plans don't perish. Instead, he made plans before there ever was a creation, and he fulfills them. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, He's not the petty thief of a, of a plot of real estate in the Middle East. He's the one who, who made heaven and earth. And his plans weren't made last Thursday. He made his plans before the creation of the world. First, furthermore, who keeps faith forever. This is a God who, when he makes a promise, keeps faith forever. He doesn't have one broken promise in his in his uh, track record. What are some of those promises? Well, he's the one who executes justice for the oppressed. See, the, 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 the princes in whom the people were trusting were trampling the oppressed and the poor. That was what the prophets kept talking about. You come in, you know, singing songs of praise and worship, and then you go out and you cheat uh, your gardener. You Take advantage of the widow. You you make uh, you know you, you make people uh, you make people orphans. But God is the one. This 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 God, this Prince, who is in fact King, executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He's a giver. He doesn't demand the blood of others. He doesn't demand the food of others for his royal table. He's the one who gives the food, and the life. He's the Lord who sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He's the, he's the one, uh, the Jubilee Lord, who would come. The Messiah would bring the year of Jubilee so that all prisoners would go free. By the way, you, you know, you, you recall John the Baptist's question uh, when he sent his messengers to Jesus. It's the night before he's about to... to uh, um, have his uh, head severed from his torso, and he says, um, 
I want to send my disciples to ask Jesus a question. Are you the one, or should we look for another? <laughs> pretty pointed, but, uh, you know, I guess they were cousins, so they talked pretty clear, plainly to each other at family reunions. But now it's kind of serious. He's just wondering, did I bet on the wrong horse? And Jesus, rather tersely, you recall, says, go back and tell John this. The blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. That was the last words from Jesus' lips John ever received. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bent over. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. There's a lot in the law about the treatment of sojourners and aliens, that you're to treat them like your own uh, brothers and sisters, your own fellow citizens. The Lord watches over the sojourners. Think about that today with the, the crisis. I'm not getting political. I'm just saying this is just from the text. God, God is watching over asylum seekers, the treacherous people who promise them roots and the tyrants who uh, send them running from their homes uh, uh, simply so that they may devour the earth. Uh, God is watching. God is marking the ways of the wicked, and God is watching over the sojourners. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. He will, maybe not in this election cycle, maybe not in the next, but he will eventually bring the way of the wicked to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. It ends the way it began. With, with praise of the Lord. The Lord will reign forever. There's that, you know, the hallelujah chorus. Um, that the end of the book of Revelation. We all know how it ends. The Lord reigning forever. Hallelujah. Our God, O Zion, to all generations. Not when the, the next election cycle comes and we can finally get our people in the White House or in Congress or Supreme Court. Um, but when our King Messiah comes again and restores all things, and even now he's ruling all things in preparation for that day, our King is King over all. Let the Lord's name be praised. Okay, well, um, that's, that's all I have to say about this. Uh, sorry? Yes? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if I say any more... I, I do what my grandma warned me of, stop preaching and gone to Medlin. Stop preaching and gone to Medlin, she'd say, with her te Texas accent. I know that, Angela. Yes, you're... Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's hard because he 
Mm -hmm. And it's just... Yep. And then when that person gets in, you get disappointed because they don't fulfill what they said when they were campaigning. So it's very frustrating. Yeah, they make messianic promises. We believe them, and then we kill them for not being the Messiah. Yeah, it, and the thing is, isn't, isn't, isn't the challenge here, on one hand, to take it seriously, but on the other hand, not to take it too seriously? That's the hard thing, because, uh, you know, we, sometimes you, you get the sense from some brothers and sisters that it's, such, it's been such a, a traumatic experience, traumatic, not dramatic, traumatic experience that people say, I'm not voting, or I just don't care, or I just, I don't believe in the political process. In a democracy, you know, that's kind of a problem. Um, if the people are completely disillusioned. Uh, but on the other hand, you, you know, taking it too seriously. And I kind of wonder if, if a lot of times the people who, the people who are most disillusioned with the process and just basically saying, I'm, I'm checking out as a citizen, were the ones who were the most invested and thought the most would come from their messianic leader. And um, this is why Christians actually can be very involved in politics and kind of, when somebody comes and says, isn't it horrible, kind of chuckle. Yeah, it always is. It's always horrible, anything short of Jesus returning. It's always horrible. Now let's get to work and try to make it not as horrible as it might be otherwise. Michael? Yeah. <laughs> now I just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have, to, you have to go with your own conscience here, even on, on whether to vote. But I think, you know, part of obeying kings and rulers, in my opinion, exegetically, uh, uh, in a, in a non-democratic uh, context like Romans 13 was addressing, uh, you, uh, you obey the powers and authorities. Well, it just so happens that our power and authority that we ultimately obey in this country is the Constitution, which gives uh, a leadership role to the people through their representatives, but also in, in voting. And so I think that part of our exercise, uh, our responsibility to exercise our citizenship um, is, to, is, is to vote. Now, I'm not saying that you always have a, a, a clear choice. I'm not going to tell you what you know, my own uh, wrestling is, or that you can, in good conscience, vote for. <laughs> Let's say the top of the ticket. <laughs> uh, but you, I think I think you sh we surely need to, uh, you know, need to vote where, as we can, wherever we can. Um, yeah. Uh-oh, uh -oh. go ahead. I...
Yeah. And it's going to work for his uh, order, you know, for his uh, plan. Yeah. No, absolutely. When you think of, when you think of uh, the, the, the ethical instructions that you have from an apostle who actually was beaten up <laughs> by the government for being a Christian, and the person most likely who was in power to whom he was telling Christians to submit was a, really an absolute lunatic who blamed the Christians for the uh, fire in Rome that burned everything down, and was a pyromaniac. He was burning things down himself, and in fact, dipped Christians into wax up to their necks to make them candles in his garden. And, and Paul says that they're ministers of God. Okay. What? Now, now you start, you know, the more you learn about the people Paul was saying submit to, the more you think, uh, okay, we're good. <laughs> this is a, it's not the worst. It's not the worst. Um, and we have some say in how things go. Maybe not this time around, but, you know, have a better say the next time around. It's, it's wonderful to have a theology that says God never misses it. God, is, God has a purpose for everything, even the stupid things we do. And, the, and, and isn't it kind of fun to be able to submit to people with a wink? Like, your days are numbered. We're going to obey you. We're going to submit to you, but your days are numbered. You're not really in charge. The people who believe that are dangerous to the state, according to Rome. It's one of the reasons they were thrown to lions. Because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Chris? Chris? Well, it changed dramatically when they were sent into captivity. <laughs> you know, they were, there's, okay, this is why we're here. We're here be, not because, uh, not, not because uh, you failed to keep your promise. We're here because you did keep your promise. Um, remember, the nation of Israel was not under an unconditional covenant of grace, Individual believers in Israel were, just as we are through faith in Christ, in the coming Messiah. They'd bring their lamb, but then they'd be looking through that lamb, offering that lamb, attesting to their faith in the coming lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as a nation, they were only allowed to live. It was God's property. God says, you're just tenants in my land. This is not your land. It's, I'm not giving it to you without without any strings attached. Oh, no, there are strings, 618 of them. And if you fail to keep these, then, then I will do to you what I did to the nations I drove out from before you. That'll be you. You'll just be one, like one of the nations I drove out of my land. 
Um, and so he did. He fulfilled, he fulfilled that. And then people were saying, okay, we're the ones. It's because of our sin that we're here. Is there any hope? And that's where God says, okay, Isaiah, now go, go comfort my people. Bring them good news of, of great joy that will be for all people. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, boy, it takes a lot. We're stubborn animals, aren't we? It takes us a lot to kind of get it. I, you know, there, there, are, there are various ways in Christian liberty and Christian conscience, I think, that, that people can make judgments about these things and say, if it were that clear, if it, if it were that clear, then we should make that choice. But I think that there are a lot of Christians who say, uh, yeah, I, I agree, but it's not that clear to me. That choice isn't that clear, that that's, what we're, that that's what we're dealing with. So this is where we have to say, I think, let's leave it to, to Christian liberty to vote how people will. Uh, but regardless of the one for whom we vote, um, I think everybody this time around, hopefully, everybody this time around, unlike some elections I can remember, <laughs> is not expecting a Messiah. <laughs> Can I safely say all of us here, are, we're good on that point. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're just hoping we don't get the Antichrist. Uh, so, so I think we're actually in a good place. We needed this as Christians. We needed, we needed to... to, to Trust not in princes anymore. Let's be done with trusting in princes, but not be done with, with responsibility in the political process that God has given us. Let's go ahead and close there before I'm asked any more uh, questions that I can't answer. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your good providence, you have placed us uh, in a fair and wonderful land, that you have given us a land with, with great laws, uh, compared uh, to many other nations, uh, a wonderful constitution. Um, we thank you for this. We don't take that for granted. Um, we just we, we ask you that whoever you put in place, uh, you install, um, that their pride um, would be brought down, that they would uh, be like Nebuchadnezzar, um, humbled, so that they can raise their eyes toward heaven and their sanity can be restored. They can realize that you're the sovereign king over all the earth and give your kingdoms of this world to whomever you choose. And above all, help us, Father, to look uh, not to any of the kingdoms of this age, but to your kingdom that you're establishing and uh, that is reaching out uh, even now from its heavenly capital to all of the nations of the earth, uh, that kingdom, uh, may that kingdom come, and uh, may that king return again to make all things new, for we pray in his name. Amen.